ones who are really going to have to try and drive the economy forward almost on their own? Yeah, and I think Powell's comments were uh, notable in so much as he reiterated the need for fiscal uh, stimulus. So he's on the, you know, he put that very clearly in his last uh, meeting and now he's saying it again. Yes, the Fed can do a lot, uh, continue to do a lot, and uh, with his bond buying program can come up with many, many different ways of, of facilitating liquidity to the right sectors of the economy. But um, uh, certainly uh, it would be much more preferable to have a fiscal and monetary combination uh, from uh, the US to drive. And, you know, we're, we're still seeing um, the virus continue to have an impact uh, quite uh, sharply in the US. Vaccines aren't announced, although there is some optimism, I guess, around that one will come. So, yeah, uh, it's going to be up to the Fed to hold the hold the ground uh, for the uh, at least for the immediate term until we get an outcome in this election. And just finally, very quickly, can I just ask you about the Chinese yuan? We've seen that surge to a two-and-a-half-year high as well. It seems to be enormously sensitive at the moment to the outcome of this election. What do you make of that? Well, I think uh, the benefits uh, to China of displacement, uh, to some extent, you know, uh, in the US, uh, leads to further strengthening in China's position uh, economically. So, again, investors... Um, uh, you know, pushing into one uh, on a relative basis. So I think it's pretty simple as that at this stage. Um, I wouldn't draw too many conclusions right now. Toby, it's always good to talk to you. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO at Society General in India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. US stock index futures are tumbling now following that speech from Donald Trump at the White House. They're down about three quarters of a percent. Uh, the SX200 in Australia up half a percent. The Nikkei 225 is uh, flat. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to open up about three quarters of a percent higher uh, later on this morning. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Have a great weekend. Do stay tuned to Radio 3 for back chat with Hugh Chiverton and Danny Gittings. The weather forecast for today, fine, dry during the day, maximum temperature of 28 degrees. The outlook, mainly fine during the day tomorrow. It's going to be cloudier on Sunday and the weather will improve early next week. 22 degrees right now, 79% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Pierre Tremblay with the Half Hour News. Donald Trump has again complained of electoral fraud in Tuesday's presidential poll as his lead in two key states, Georgia and Pennsylvania, continues to shrink as postal votes are counted. Mr. Trump was speaking at a news conference at the White House within the last hour. I'd like to provide the American people with an update on our efforts to protect the integrity of our very important 2020 election. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. If you count the illegal votes... They can try to steal the election from us. If you count the votes that came in late, we're looking at them very strongly. But a lot of votes came in late. In only his second public appearance since the election, the president said the system was corrupt. Several of his tweets alleging electoral fraud have been obscured by warning labels on Twitter. Meanwhile, his rival Joe Biden seems to be gaining ground in key states. His campaign manager, Jennifer O'Malley-Dillon, called for patience and calm, but said they were confident that Mr. Biden would beat Mr. Trump. She said the president was filing lawsuits because he was losing. Voters have turned out in record numbers for the vice president, and because of that, and because he sees the same data we do and knows he is losing, Donald Trump continues to push a flailing strategy designed to prevent people's votes from being counted. What we're seeing on these legal suits are that they are meritless and nothing more than an attempt to distract and delay what is now inevitable. Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States. 
The hospital authority says a 78-year-old COVID patient has died, bringing the death toll here to 107. He was a resident of an elderly care home in Samshaipo that had had a coronavirus outbreak. Earlier health officials reported one new local COVID-19 infection with no clear source. Dr. Zhang Zhokwana, the Center for Health Protection, said the patient was a 40-year-old aircraft engineer who believed he'd had contact with air crew who were later diagnosed with the coronavirus. She said officials were checking his work rosters. They will have to discuss what kind of things need to be repaired in the cargo flights after they land. So their contact were mainly in conversation and he usually wore masks and the contacts were usually brief. They do not have lunch or meals together. There were six imported cases yesterday involving two people who flew in from the Philippines and others from Turkey, Brazil, India and Russia. Police say they've arrested a 23-year-old policeman on suspicion of money laundering, along with 10 others. The eight men and three women, aged between 19 and 30, were suspected of having dealt with crime proceeds totaling $210 million. The arrest came after the Narcotics Bureau received a report of suspicious bank transactions. Police say they've frozen $760,000. The arrested officer has been suspended. Next news at 9. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today. Danny Gittings. Danny, good morning to you. Good morning. Today we're talking about the National Security Reporting Hotline and the latest on the US election. The police have launched a hotline inviting people to report suspected breaches of the SAR's national security law. In posts on social media yesterday morning, the force said people can send tips anonymously by email or SMS as well as WeChat. The force said the hotline was being set up to accept non-emergency reports on national security matters in the form of information, photographs, audio or video. And that of 6pm yesterday, over a thousand tips had already been received via the hotline. Well, there's anything the public should be aware of if they don't want to get reported. Who should be worried about this? How useful will this be as a reporting mechanism? Do you find it reassuring or do you find it sinister? After 9.15, we're going to be discussing the latest on the US elections, those statements by uh, President Trump. Uh, if you want to comment on uh, anything, you can leave a message on our Facebook page. That's Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us, and we'll put you on air. And our number is 233-88266. Just to catch up on uh, the question of uh, Toby. Toby is a, is a policeman uh, who uh, sometimes uh, joins in conversations and discussions on this uh, program. Uh, I did invite him to comment uh, yesterday uh, on that uh, arrest of an RTHK uh, reporter. Uh, Toby says, if I were ever to speak on the phone to you or your guests, I would do so as a private individual who happened to work as a police officer. I can't represent the force. As I'm sure you're aware, I can't comment on the specifics of any ongoing investigations, and as such, I wouldn't be in a position to explain why or how the force took action against Ms. Choi, other than what has been revealed so far. That is, a complaint was made by a member of the public, and we took action. As for using my work email, I did explain last year that I had no problem with your identifying me as a serving police officer, and you could verify that by using uh, my official email address and referring you to Phil Whelan and Steve James, both whom know me personally and could confirm my occupation. I'm not breaching any regulations by using my work email and commenting on a number of issues. That is from uh, Toby. 
And uh, Matthew uh, has uh, a comment, this is in an email, uh, who says, I've had multiple positive and constructive interactions with police, community and public relations officers over many years, including on sensitive topics. I wonder why the police chose not to engage with the public in forums like Backchat. I said, I think that could actually help their cause. Could Policeman Toby or any other Backchat correspondents with police backgrounds provide perspective on this? I also wonder if Toby or others can shed light on why the police themselves Themselves didn't use the very simple number plate search technique to identify and take action on the people identified in the Hong Kong Connections report and save Bao Choi the trouble. Maybe we also need an anonymous Yunlong incident hotline. That is from Matthew. Thanks very much. And on the uh, the topic of today's show, uh, Martin says uh, on the introduction of the National Security Hotline, get over it. The National Security Hotline is long overdue, especially as Hong Kong is subject to blatant foreign interference. It's, Hong Kong is also a major hub for foreign spy and intelligence agencies and has a very active local anti-China movement. No Western country would tolerate such subversive activities unchecked, and they all have national security laws and hotlines for decades. For instance, check out Australia's national security hotline. He then refers to the website for Australia's national security hotline, which says it was established in 2002 and has received more than 300,000 calls, faxes, letters and emails. A significant number of reports to the National Security Hotline have contributed to investigations or initiated new ones. Even if you think it's probably nothing, the smallest piece of information can be valuable. If something doesn't add up, speak up by calling the National Security Hotline. That's from the Australian National Security Hotline. And Martin going on to say, In the past, Australia has raided media outlets, member of parliament's offices and arrested reporters under its national security law. Hong Kong being part of China, could opponents please explain what Hong Kong me- what makes Hong Kong so different from other places that it can't have its own national security hotline and simply should put up with being used as a base to undermine its government and the central government. Thank you very much, Martin. If you've got any comments on uh, that topic, um, you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Now, uh, Martin mentioned the Australian uh, National Security Hotline. Uh, Joining us for the first part of the show is uh, Dr Clark Jones. Uh, Dr Jones is a senior research fellow at the Research School of Psychology at ANU uh, College of Health and Medicine. That's Australian National University. Uh, uh, Good morning. Or uh, good morning, uh, is it good afternoon, uh, Dr. Jones? Good morning. Now it's still uh, <laughs> still in the morning. Okay. Now your your listener, our listener, just referred to the Australian National Security um, Hotline. Uh, you've uh, and and saying seems to suggest it was uh, um, quite successful. Um, uh, you, you've you've studied this, haven't you? And you've looked at how how this has um, how this has worked in practice in Australia. Yeah. Look, certainly. I mean, it's. Um uh, I've looked at many aspects of the counter-terrorism uh, laws in Australia or the counter-terrorism strategies and have been involved in uh, counter-terrorism for many, many years, uh, once as part of the government, uh, but now in the a private capacity uh, with, with Australian National University, so both as a, a sort of, a, I suppose, a practitioner and as a researcher. Um, the hotline has certainly been successful and there's been a number of um, investigations that are launched as a result of people calling in on the hotline. And I, I heard one of your listeners mention over 300,000 calls have been made to the hotline. Um, 
So the first point is the, the hotline was established as a counter-terrorism measure, not as a national security measure for other types of crimes or concerns to national security. So that's the, sort of the first point. But it does uh, call, it does call um, itself the national security hotline, right? Is that correct? That, that's correct. And, and I would assume, and I don't know, but I would imagine it sort of led to other sorts of investigations outside of counter-terrorism. Um, but the main focus of that, that hotline was a counter-terrorism hotline and, uh, and really uh, nothing else. But it falls under national security. Obviously, counter-terrorism uh, is one of uh, Australia's major concerns. OK, so uh, that it's been primarily on counter-terrorism. And has it been a success? And also, have you had the sort of debate in Australia that we're, start, we're seeing in Hong Kong with um, opposition politicians expressing concern that it will be divisive in society, that uh, people will use it for personal grudges and so on? Is there any of that sort, sort of discussion at all, or is it just, just sort of generally accepted? Well, I mean, I've known people who have worked on the, the hotline, and, I, and you know, from the, from the government perspective, so I'll be careful what I say here, but... Um, there have been, you know, there's been all sorts of calls, uh, uh, people calling for, for crazy reasons that they've observed something that um, uh, to them was was highly suspicious, but, but really it wasn't anything. So there's been, you know, you'd imagine out of 300,000 calls or more that there's um, uh, calls that are not, you know, not worth following up or investigation. So I suppose it brings me to the point on, on the negative of a hotline that, um, our interpretations of what we see as concerning, um, you know, vary between all of us. You know, um, having worked a lot in counterterrorism, working a lot with Muslim communities, um, for example, um, there are things that I, I see of no concern whatsoever, whereas others might see that as suspicious or of concern. So um, you can imagine the types of calls that uh, will, will come through. Um, I suppose if we extend the national security hotline to sort of the big brother model, um, you know, thinking on the other side of the coin now, um, there there could be concerns to human rights of that, you know, we're going on about our, our normally day, day, daily business and, and you get reported and reported to national security for no particular reason. So I can understand from the human rights perspective that there may be concerns um, now, you know, I know from the media that I see, and, you know, how much do we believe in media, but um, there's been a lot of reporting in Hong Kong of the government cracking down in Hong Kong. So the timing of the hotline, I imagine, would be concerning to some. But, you know, really, it comes down, if we're not doing the right... If we're not doing the wrong thing, then we really have nothing to worry about these types of strategies. I see a report a number of years ago when you talked about uh, Team Australia being counterproductive. Uh, Team Australia is not exactly the same thing as the hotline, but tell us a bit more about what, what you were saying there. Well, you know, I, th I think um, we, you know, the, the reasons for terrorism are many, and, and it's going to get, you know, <laughs> a fairly deep discussion here, but, uh, you know, working in the, you know, the criminology, psychology sort of area and understanding the underlying reasons for offending. I think there are a lot more that governments can do uh, to work with uh, uh, vulnerable communities and vulnerable groups, and, and hotlines uh, are not necessarily addressing addressing the issue. It's really like a, an after-effect or a reporting mechanism rather than actually uh, dealing with the key issues that are driving some of the, uh, the criminal behaviour. So that's what my comments were really around uh, around that. 
Um, also, it was at a time when the government was working on, or the New South Wales government at the time was also working on their own um, hotline called Step Together. Um, so I suppose I was I was critical of the construction of that. But look, um, I think these sorts of strategies, you know, in hindsight and looking back, I think these sorts of strategies can be useful as, as another mechanism for people who may not know how to respond to the reporting of a crime. And by having a, a, an easy get-to telephone number to call... Um, can be can be also a, a positive thing. I, I'm curious because uh, our national security legislation specifically covers uh, non-violent crimes. They said that when it comes to secession, for example, uh, whether it's violent or not, it, it, it is an offence. And uh, I mean, it specifically says uh, the legislation deals with terrorist activities as a, as a section. But then there's also subversion, uh, which is, of course, very very yes. vague term. Secession and collusion with a foreign country or external elements to endanger national security. Would that, is that, would that be covered, do you think, by the understanding of national security when it comes to the, uh, the issue and the hotline in Australia? Uh, collusion with a foreign country? I'm unaware of reporter mechanisms in that case. I mean, we've got agencies that deal with uh, subversion and um, you know, political interference, and I think there was a, a recent arrest here in Australia... Uh, last week uh, with uh, foreign interference laws. I mean, that wouldn't have come through the national security hotline. That would most likely have come through uh, uh, investigations. So um, I, I suppose in, you know, in that sense, I mean, if, I mean I'm, I'm not sure if the, if, if the, the reason for the... I'm, I'm not sure on the reasons for the national security hotline... Uh, in Hong Kong, it's, if it's that sort of reporting, but from my experience, it's really been about counterterrorism and other other sorts of uh, crimes, not in relation to uh, foreign sort of espionage. So, it, I'd be interested if that's the reason for the uh, the hotline in Hong Kong, but I really haven't gone into it enough to to answer that question very mm. clearly. Okay. Well, we're also joined now by uh, legislator Fernando Chung. Uh, Mr. Chung, good morning to you. Uh, good morning. Thank, thanks for joining us. What's your reaction? What do you make of these plans? Well, now that we're the reality for this national security hotline. Well, I think it's part of this uh, fear mongering um, to establish a hotline like that, um, making it obvious that um, anyone who reports others uh, can remain anonymous. Uh, it means that uh, no one has to bear any responsibility. Um, and that it is not a replacement of um, uh, uh, really reporting any uh, serious crime or serious crime that are related to uh, national security um, by way of going to the police. Uh, this is like encouraging people to snitch on each other, uh, reporting, uh, watching, monitoring each other. So it basically is a way to generate fear and to um, encourage self-censorship, uh, make people aware that they're being watched every moment. That's the effect that it would generate. Why does this differ from, why does this differ from any other hot, um, hotline for reporting crimes? I mean, you wouldn't presumably object to a hotline where people could leave uh, anonymous tips about robbery or, or other, other crimes like that. And um, police forces in Hong Kong the world over have always had uh, mechanisms for, uh, for individuals to report uh, criminal activity. So why should the national security law be any different? Well, this is 
national security law. But that's... And that everybody knows that the law is draconian. It is uh, extremely strict in that if people are being accused or arrested or being charged for a violation of national security law, they would go through a different system. Uh, they would be imposed upon a different uh, punishment or restrictions that are much more severe than other ordinary crimes. And that in times like this, are, are we looking at uh, Hong Kong being a threat to the national security of China? Um, do we have any evidence at all that uh, Hong Kong has become uh, a, a, a real threat, a, a base for uh, rebellions, uh, revolutions, uh, or any uh, violence that could uh, threaten the uh, security of China? Well, I mean, what this no, is... No, I don't... Yeah, so why, do, why would anyone establish a hotline just for the sole purpose of uh, national security law? I mean, what this is basically is about is you you oppose the national security law, and so you you oppose anything which would make it easier to to catch people who break it. I mean, that's in the end what this is, the why you're opposing this, isn't it? Well, uh, no, I think you have to look at the effects that it's generating. It is like cultural revolution, uh, where people can report anyone uh, to the authority without bearing any responsibility, and by that itself is a, a fear-mongering. And also, it makes people afraid. They are threatened. They understand that every step, every moment, there are eyes and ears everywhere, and they don't want to be caught. Because re reporting those acts uh, does not bear any responsibility. And so it makes it easy for people to do that and people will do that and, and any, anything that would trigger an investigation will cost you extreme troubles and people don't want that. Dr. Jones, what about that? the question of anonymity? I guess that's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? It's going to help and hinder. Yeah, look, definitely, and I agree, agree uh, totally what uh, Robert just said. I mean, I, I think there, there are certainly concerns um, and you'd have to look at the uh, the reasons for the national security hotline in Hong Kong. I mean, certainly when it was established in Australia, it was for counterterrorism purposes. Now, whether it's a, uh, a morphed into um, the investigation of other types of crimes, I don't know. Uh, but certainly, you know, I've been following it from a counterterrorism perspective. But considering the uh, the more recent sort of political developments in um, in Hong Kong in particular. Uh, with the Chinese government, I can see why there would be concerns about people uh, reporting others for what they see as, uh, you know, uh, purposes of um, uh, things that might be against the uh, the Chinese government. So there are real concerns uh, about people watching everyone, and 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 therefore you you know you can't go about your daily activities without looking over your shoulder. And I think that would be a real shame if. Um, uh, Hong Kong was to turn that way. I mean, I, I've um, spent many, 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 uh, uh, a lot of time in Hong Kong personally uh, and in China as well. And, um, you know, I, I enjoy um, 
uh, spending time in, in Hong Kong and, and even in China, but I'd be very concerned if uh, if there were then, uh, you know, that we had to sort of watch our activities when we're in those countries. So, well, uh, you know, we, there's, yeah. we really actually, want to it doesn't, what, what is the purpose for this hotline. Yeah, actually, it doesn't matter whether you're in this country or not. Uh, in fact, anything you say uh, anywhere in the world uh, is under the auspices of this law. You could be prosecuted. Uh, this, this law has global jurisdiction. It's fair to say probably the Hong Kong police well, probably have fewer so avenues for investigating things happening outside Hong Kong. We should give Kong, you due warning, uh, Dr. Clark, that uh, anything you say uh, may, be, may be incriminating you. Uh, Hugh, in, I'm serious. Oh, you know, I, I mean, that's fine. I mean, I, I, I have a, a you know, great respect for, for China. I'm not just saying that because I might be listened to, but, <laughs> you know, I, I taught in Chong, I taught, I taught counterterrorism in um, uh, Chongqing last year. Um, and, you know, I, I have to say, I, I was very careful in what I said around, uh, because I do a lot of work with Muslim communities. And, um, you know, once again, I, you know, it's, it's really looking at the underlying issues. And, and, and this is not a... Uh, connecting Muslim communities to terrorism, but you know, I was very careful in what I said in China, and I could imagine, uh, you know, being reported for something I was misinterpreted of how I said. So, you know, this is why I think we have to be very careful. What is the purpose of this this line? Um, and I, I, I would like to like to see a little bit more. What it, you know, before I make too much comment. But um, as I said, ours was established purely, really, as a counterterrorism mm. measure. So. Um, I would like to see the background and the reasoning for, for the development of this one. Okay, uh, some uh, emails. Uh, Hugh says, just another step downward into repression, encouraging informers and people to denounce others, just like East Germany was. Masking it with security doesn't hide its true purpose, and I wish your guests have the courage to decry it. That comes uh, from uh, Hugh. Uh, Jay says, it's amazing how suddenly now the government can make a Dobbin line. So obviously they feel the police aren't capable to handle terrorism. But the government seems to be promoting terrorism in the past few months, so the public has been told to run. Uh, it would be more appropriate if instead of people calling 911, there would be more telephone lines to the police station so we can dob in people without wasting time for fly-tipping, pet accidents, general mishaps, instead of taking hours trying to find the number or website to contact the local police station. Uh, Fernando Chang, I think your, your concern <coughs> is about um, sort of social tensions that could arise as a result of this. I mean, people have been talking about perhaps um, uh, reporting customers in yellow restaurants. Is, is there a possibility school children might start to be using this against each other? Um, uh, it is uh, possible. Uh, after all, the hotline does not require any identity uh, from the reporter, um, which means that um, anyone can use the number. And um, it also uh, specifies that you can uh, give them pictures, videos, and audios. So people can do any sort of things. Uh, you know, it's... Um, I don't think it is a serious way of collecting information. If you allow the, re the person reporting it to be to remain uh, anonymous, and there's no way of uh, tracing that person, so I would expect that much of the materials would be just um, not related to national security at law at all. But by way of establishing the hotline, it is. Um, a, a sense of chilling effect to everyone in the city that you are being watched. You don't know who the informant is. And that deteriorates our 
trust that deteriorates the um, social relations, and that makes people um, frightened. And, and any any time, any time they step out of the door, they have to be prepared that they are being watched. They don't know who would be reporting on them. Um, so it, it is um, is a terrible situation. This is basically uh, the Big Brother, you know, watching over okay. you. Okay, Dr. Jones. Okay, Dr. Jones, I know you've got to go in a moment, but um, just basically, how do the security forces themselves feel about this? Do they find these, this line useful? Kind of um, the 300,000, or, you know, do they, do they think it's a, a waste of time? Do, they, do the police and others uh, like having this line like this? Um, the, the short answer is yes. I mean, there has been some, uh, I can't give you a number on it, but there has been some, there are certainly some successful operations being launched, counterterrorism operations being launched as a result of the hotline, but there is a lot of noise. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I won't go into the, some of the, the, the funny uh, calls that um, ha- have come through, because once, once, once again, what I see suspicious might be different to somebody else. So... Um, yes, there's a lot of noise, but there, there has also been some useful investigations, so I can't uh, say you know, it's been a big brother situation in Australia. It certainly hasn't turned out that way. Um, as, a, as a reason, the, the New South Wales uh, sort of hotline probably hasn't been as, as much of a success, but um, maybe uh, the New South Wales police who may, may be listening to the radio might disagree. Um, but, you know, I remember last year reporting there was only, you know, very few calls had come uh, come through. And with the amount of money that was spent on the hotline, uh, whether it had been a success or not had been questionable. But I suppose if you, if in Hong Kong, if you tie the situation up with the current crackdown by the Chinese government, I can really see the concerns because maybe the hotline um, is for other purposes. Okay. So yeah. really, it, they, would, they would need to explain what the hotline is for. OK, we're out of time. Um, but... to, Okay, Dr. Jones, thank you very much indeed for for joining us from Australian National University. More after the news at nine. The weather, fine. 23 degrees now. Humidity is at 74%. Back in three minutes. Welcome back. This is Back Chats on a Friday morning with Danny Gittings and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're continuing to talk about the establishment of that national security hotline. Police said there were at least a 1,000 tips received uh, through that uh, by 6 o'clock yesterday. I wonder how things will develop today and over the uh, weekend. We were talking in the first part of the programme to uh, an expert from Australian National University, a criminologist. Uh, Still with us is uh, Fernando Chung, legislator. We're also joined now by Michael Chugani, a veteran and TV host uh, and journalist. And later we're going to be talking about the latest on the US presidential election with the chair of Democrats abroad in Hong Kong. We want to hear from you. Call us, 233-88266 is the number, or you can email backchat at rthk.hk. We've got some interesting emails we'll get to in a moment. And also on our Facebook page, if you've got any comments, you can also go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. On our Facebook page, uh, Jan says, one gets the impression that the national security law has less to do with protecting Hong Kong people and more to do with promoting the Chinese Communist Party. CY Lung has proven this. Uh, Michael Chigani, good morning. Welcome back to Back Chat. Michael Chigani, good morning. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Good morning, morning, morning. <laughs> now, now what, what do you make of this national security hotline? Well, you know, when it was first announced, the very first thing that uh, hit me was, oh my God, red guards in Hong Kong. And then I thought of that movie, 10 Years, 
uh, which won a prize some years back, a, a local movie, that kind of predicted this thing would happen in Hong Kong, people spying on each other. And that's exactly what happened. And now you look at within 24 hours, you've got like a thousand people sending in tips or whatever, a thousand in a city of 7.5 or whatever million. And as you walk around the streets, do you see any, any threat whatsoever against national security towards China? I don't. Honestly, I don't. What would these 1,000 tips say? Me having lunch with Joshua Wong, perhaps? Or me going to the U.S. consulate? Or writing a column? Isn't it precisely the point of any tipsters line is there's things that are not, not obvious and that somebody may have picked up on but um, would not otherwise be easy for law enforcement agencies to, to spot? Yeah, I know, Danny, but you know, you've got to look at the national security law in Hong Kong. You know, I hate it when people say, oh, you know, uh, the U.S. has a national security law, Australia has a national security law, the U.S. has a national security law. But they never say that these countries are democracies. They never say that. They cherry pick, right? They don't like democracy, but if a democracy has a national security law, they say, well, they have it too. Okay, fine, they have it. I was in the U.S. when they had a national security law, the Patriot Act. What was that for? That was against terrorism. When the New York Towers were knocked down, thousands were dead. So and they had a national security law. Where is the national security threat in Hong Kong? Five kids holding up a blank sheet of paper? So basically, opposition to the national security hotline again comes down to the fact that you oppose the law. And because you oppose the law, you don't want anything that will make it easier to catch people who break it. No, 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 no. no. Did I say you oppose the law, Danny? Well, you, you, I, it's, I, it's certainly I, I, implied I, from what you're saying. No, you're saying. no, 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 no. Hear me out. So you don't oppose I, the law, Mike? I don't oppose, I don't oppose a national security law. How about, how about law. this law? I oppose this national okay. security law because a national security law or any law states very clearly what is the crime and what is not a crime. Okay? Under common law, that should be the case. No law, you're a lawyer, no law should make it so vague that you have to second guess whether you're committing a crime or not. This does. So again, opposition to the hotline is because people oppose this national security law. Because they oppose this national security law, they don't want anything which will make it easier to catch people who have broken this law. Because this national security law involves, for example, uh, mainland security agents hiring a whole entire hotel in one child Causeway Bay, another national security police department in Hong Kong, and this national security law, as has been used so far, the first case involves a guy on a motorbike with a couple of flags that say liberate Hong Kong revolution of our times. And he was charged with terrorism because he drove into a crowd. Well, a taxi driver drove into a crowd and injured people. The police never charged that person. A legislator took private prosecution against a taxi driver and the justice secretary killed it. Uh, you have I, to make these comparisons. Are you, uh, in saying that you oppose this national security legislation, are you breaking the national security legislation? Is that an offence? 
It's well, I, I, I mean, I uh, certainly the administration, I should, you know, because the returning officers, for example, said that uh, anyone who said that they opposed the, the introduction of national security legislation could not stand as a, as a legislator. So... Well, number one, I, I don't intend to run for office at all. I, I know, but I, so I mean, I don't know. Concern. Is it illegal to, to, no, no, to no, say I, that? You know, okay, let's compare your question, Hugh, with what Carrie Lamb said, that introduction of the national security law has not taken away my freedom of speech. She has repeatedly said that. In any free society where freedom of speech still exists, laws can be opposed if you feel that law is wrong. I don't break it. <clears throat> Excuse me. The law is there. I'm not going to break that law because the law is the law. So it's there and I won't break it. But that doesn't mean that I have to support it. I can oppose it without breaking it. Well, if Opposing you, it is not breaking the law. As, as I say, the returning officer did say that people who opposed in principle the introduction of the law uh, couldn't stand as legislators. But as uh, I said, I'm not standing. Yeah, sure. I, I'm a private individual. Yeah, I mean, I'm, but I, I just kind of leaves open the question of how far that, that goes if you're not allowed to stand as a legislator. Yeah, the thing is, is it, I've written numerous columns to say that mm. I oppose the law. Yeah. I, I've, I've said that I oppose the law as it now stands. Sure. And, 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 I support and, and, a national security law. Let me make that clear. I want to put that on the record because this place is like so Orwellian now. I oppose the national security law as it stands, but I will observe it. And I also do support a national security law for Hong Kong. And I oppose independence. You, you, you want to make that very clear, Michael Chiang. Are, are, you, are you worried that someone yes. might be calling the national security hotline about Who your comments? Knows? I don't care if they do. Oh, I'm sure they will. Uh, frankly, Michael, I'm sure they will. Um, I, it's quite possible they will on me as well. Anyway, uh, here's an email from Martin who says on the issue of uh, comparing the national security legislation uh, in Australia. He was the, he was the one uh, who we uh, read an email from earlier in the programme. Um, and Fernando, you might want to respond to this. Uh, Martin says, as Fernando Chung claims that the Hong Kong national security uh, legislation hotline is used to intimidate the local population, and you have your guests from Australia, could both maybe comment on how our NSL differs from other Western jurisdictions, and how NSL in Western countries is used to send a chilling effect targeting certain segments of its population. Case in point is the latest developments in Australia, where a Chinese-Australian community leader has been charged under Australia's new foreign interference laws. Even donations to charities will be considered foreign influence, especially if you're of Chinese descent, which should set off alarm bells among the Asian Chinese community uh, in Australia. And there's a link to a story uh, on, uh, uh, on that issue. The Chinese-Australian community leader charged under the uh, new foreign uh, uh, foreign interference laws. That's, that's from, from Martin. Fernando Chung, um, how is uh, NSL uh, in Hong Kong? Uh, isn't it just the same as that used in, in uh, other places? Well, plain and simple, um, Australia is a democracy. Hong Kong is not. Australia has checks and balances. Hong Kong doesn't. So that makes a difference. Um, I agree, agree to uh, what Michael just said, uh, for the most part. Uh, so just by way of listening to him makes me feel that the effects are there already from the national security law, right? I mean, it, it, we are well aware that every word, every step we take 
uh, is being watched. And uh, we don't want to be accused of violating the national security law because the consequences are so dire. You know, you, you can be punished for up to life imprisonment. Uh, you can be sent to a totally different legal jurisdiction, China, and look at what's happening to the 12 young people who are now detained in China. Now, you, you, say, you say you don't want to violate the national security law. Your, your, no. pro, your pro-establishment no. colleagues in uh, the Legislative Council suggested that the uh, conduct, I'm not, I'm not sure necessarily you specifically, but um, pro-democracy legislators should be investigated for, um, uh, for subversion under the uh, national security law. Right. So, see, uh, this is a real threat. Uh, people can be detained. Look at the, um, the young girl uh, who, who's been uh, arrested uh, and this uh, 21-year-old uh, uh, boy who now um, cannot be on bail because... Is uh, charged by the under the national security law. Do you think you and your colleagues in the pro-democracy camp in the Legislative Council are going to have to behave differently in the council chamber going forward? Because I, I certainly I can see a legal case under the national security law for uh, arguing that uh, some some of, some of your activities could lead to charges of subversion. Yeah, neither can I. But the thing is, you don't know how they are exercising the powers. The police can do whatever. Uh, look at how many people we have close to 30 people now being arrested under by the um, national security uh, unit in, in the police police force right and uh, just this past sunday they came to my home and arrested me uh, not under the national security law but um, uh, it is uh, it will be heard today in the court uh, for behaviors that people would uh, deem rather ordinary okay chanting right? uh, slogans Okay. Uh, that, yeah, that wasn't okay. That wasn't. That's not the national security legislation. The, the, I mean, Andrew Kay uh, says Fernando has he been living on the moon for the last year? Of course, some people in Hong Kong are a threat to national security. Uh, uh, shouting in Legco is, is is one thing, but this city was brought to its knees. This city was completely paralysed last year by um, marauding forces. Uh, that is a very real threat to the to the security of Hong Kong. That's the reality, surely, Fernando well, Chan. Yeah, but uh, why are people out in the street? Because they are opposing the extradition bill, and and look at the, the yeah. But the police don't. That's, that's not up to that's not up to the security forces to consider the why or the motives. We, we I mean, that's for politicians like yourself. Um, they have to deal with the reality, and the reality is that this. The city was, as I say, basically paralyzed. Well, exactly. The city was paralyzed because the regime, the government, does not want to deal with a political issues by political means. Dialogue, talking to the people. Instead, they use they use police. They use oppression, and that's why every time when you have one million people and two million people taking to the street, and government does not listen to that voice, then people turn to other means. So this is, this is how it, it, it evolves, right? It, it is not like, uh, and, and the campaign and people out in the street are not listening to legislators. They're, they're not 
out there because legislators call them up to to uh, take to the street. They are out there to show their opposition to the regime, to the extradition bill. Okay. And then they they oppose to how the government handles the opposition. Okay, couple right. couple more comments from from listeners on the on the theme of uh, Australia and reaction to Martin. Uh, Alan says a comment from Martin about the Australia's national anti-terrorism hotline. The usual whataboutism. The problem is, as always, that Australia is concerned with actual terrorism. Hong Kong's national security legislation is concerned with political dissent. You can't call up Australia's hotline to complain about what a teacher was discussing in primary school history, or what song somebody was singing in a park, what flag someone was waving. They're Tell you to bugger off. Uh, when they do take action, it's about actual national security, actual terrorist, espionage, not students protesting peacefully. Investigations of reporters were well publicised and well defended. No one went to jail. And Martin again insists that foreign black hands are behind dissent in Hong Kong. For 10 years, they, CY most prominently, have been insisting this is the case. They just keep quoting each other to say it's well known, without ever having any proof or rationale why anyone would do this. Just deflection from the real causes of dissent. That is uh, from Alan. Matthew says the forced attempt to compare Hong Kong's NSL anonymous hotline to Australia's in order to justify it only serves to highlight the problem. First, Australia is a genuine democracy with effective checks and balances on power, while Hong Kong's hotline is operating under a one-party dictatorship with no check on its power. Second, for most countries, national security is about protecting the country and its people from external threats like terrorism. For the CCP, national security is about protecting the party's hold on power from any challenge by the people it is supposed to be serving. Michael Chigani, um, yeah. a lot of people are considering leaving Hong Kong. Are, are you among them? Well, <laughs> I mean, I can leave. I'm, I'm an American. Uh, I can leave. Uh, well, most leave. people can leave now or will be able to come January, won't they, when, they, uh, when Britain grants sure, their right. visas? Yeah? I mean, I, I, would, I would be, I would be uh, not being honest if I said the thought hadn't occurred to me. Um, you know, why it has, Danny, is this, let's step back and then ask yourself this question. Just now, earlier, I had to say, I don't support independence. I oppose this national security law, but I do not oppose a national security law for Hong Kong. And I said all that because Carrie Lam said, I still have the freedom of speech. I had to say all of that. Now, which society, if you say yourself, if you say you're in a society that has free speech, that requires people to say they don't support something or they oppose something to be out of trouble? If, if you don't support something and you oppose it, that's fine. But no society requires you to support something, right? I mean, whether you support something or not is your individual right, as long as you don't break the law. I don't support the national security law as it is written, but I will observe it. But why do I have to say that, Danny? So you're saying... If you have to say that, then this society is no longer the society we recognize. So you're saying what worries you is you have to think more carefully about your words, basically. Not only think more carefully, more carefully, yeah, sure. But having to behave in such a way that things that were normal before are no longer normal now. Now, for example, I've never met Jimmy Lai, you know, 
Supposing, for example, he inv invites me uh, to have lunch with him and I go, somebody takes a picture, sends it to uh, this new hotline, am I in trouble? If I write a column to say something, maybe critical of Carrie Lam, I write such columns quite a lot. Okay, so I've written that column, I've done it peacefully, the column is printed, okay? It's somebody who reads it, and then that's, that person is influenced by that column and goes out and does something illegal, like spreading hatred or whatever under the national security law, will they come back to me? You don't know. You don't know, right? They can say, well, you did something to spread hatred by that person. It's like inciting others to incite, which were charges that we had recently, right? I mean, you just don't know anymore where the red lines are. I walk in the streets and I trip over a red line every few minutes. So you just don't know. If everybody asks themselves that question and then step back and say, listen, there has to be some clarity to what's happening in Hong Kong. You cannot just say a reporter who investigated the Yun Long thing broke a traffic ordinance violation and gets arrested. You cannot say that people put something on Facebook like the five young kids or three or whatever number it was, and they get arrested for violating the national security law. When that happens, please don't compare Hong Kong's national security law with the US national security law, Britain's national security law. People, young kids putting some stuff on Facebook will not get arrested. You know, so let's not make that comparison. There was not a single arrest by the U.S. during the Black Lives Matter protest for national security reasons. Not a single one. Okay, well, Michael so Tugani... make that clear. Okay, Michael Tugani, yeah, thanks very much indeed uh, for that. And thank you very much to uh, legislator Fernando Chung. Uh, one more uh, comment from Andrew Kay. He says, on Fernando, so according to him, if you oppose the government, it's okay to riot in the street, damage public property, and injure people, uh, question mark. That's from uh, Andrew Kay. Thanks very much indeed for, for all your comments. I want to turn finally today back to the um, US uh, elections, which are still on uh, a knife edge. Uh, counting continuing in a number of the key uh, battleground states and uh, a statement uh, just made uh, by Donald Trump uh, continuing uh, allegations of uh, voter fraud uh, uh, and uh, claiming that uh, legal votes uh, would uh, show that uh, he is uh, winning. Yeah, and, um, uh, yeah. and Hugh, on that, uh, TC commenting on our Facebook page uh, referring to the fact that the American TV networks cut away from uh, Donald Trump's uh, statement. Uh, it says, is Brexit Breathtaking that major American TV networks abruptly ended Donald Trump's press conference when he accused illegal votes cost him re-election. While I'm not suggesting his accusations are true, I don't think it's fair reporting to do that. The pundits are free to critique his assertion, but he should have the opportunity to express it. You don't see the mainstream media cut out of Biden's falsehoods. And TC does say, on a side note, if, if Backchat does that every time a speaker says something false, imagine the amount of dead air on the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, Donald Trump uh, said, this is a case where they're trying to steal an election, they're trying to rig an election, and we can't let that happen. Uh, joining us now is Nicholas Gordon, chair of Democrats Abroad uh, uh, in Hong Kong. He took part in our in our Wednesday uh, marathon uh, covering the uh, election then. Uh, Nicholas, uh, good morning to you. Thank, thanks for joining us. Uh, how are you feeling at the moment? Are you feeling optimistic? Are you feeling pessimistic? What's going on? Well, I think we there's a good chance we know today. I think we'll know 
Um, we should know the results from Pennsylvania and Georgia in the next few hours. We'll probably have a good idea about Nevada, too. Um, I think we know the, the Senate's going into overtime with two uh, runoff races in Georgia. So I think I think we'll have an answer today. Well, but will you'll that be, be an answer? You'll be cautious. You'll be maybe you stung by Wednesday when, of course, you were with us and we started the show with opinion polls suggesting that Biden was going to do a lot better than he ultimately did. You, you now seem very cautious, even though victory for your guy is really in sight now. Um, you know, I won't. I will not say anything until <laughs> until we have. Some You're very worried call. about jinxing yourself. Um, I aren't will you? just say I think we we will. There's a good chance we know today, or even the next few hours. Goodness me, you're not even saying that Biden is favoured. You're just saying there's a good chance we'll know in the next few hours. You know, not, knock on knock on wood. I think I think the commentary is saying that that, that things look pretty good. Um, the, the the votes are are from are from strong blue counties. But again, I think you know the importance is is it important to count all the votes. You know, despite what the president says. Um, and when we when we when we count all the votes in Pennsylvania and Georgia and Nevada and Arizona with that's when we can be, say, with firm conclusion what, okay. the, what the results of this election will be. All right. You you can't really say despite what the president says. I mean, the point is, it was, even if we get those results, that's not going to be the end of the story, is it? Well, you know, I think I, I will not pretend to know what the president's going to do, what his campaign's going to do. Uh, what I will say is that when, when the president uh, casts doubt on mail-in voting, he is it's important for, our, for maybe our your American listeners here in Hong Kong, that he's attacking the votes, not just of mail-in votes in the United States, but also of us, of overseas Americans. Um, you know, we had to go through, we had to jump through many, many hoops to get our votes counted this year, and in attacking those, by attacking the whole process as fraudulent, he's attacking our votes as fraudulent as well. Okay, well, you won't say, but I will. I mean, Biden is clearly favoured to win now. He's not a certainty, but he has multiple paths to uh, becoming president in the remaining states, whereas Trump only basically has one. Uh, so if at least one of those paths holds and he becomes president, he faces a very difficult situation, doesn't he? I mean, it, uh, chances of um, controlling the Senate are... Um, are marginal at best, um, and the Democrats lost seats in the House. Um, he may be president, but he's not going to be in a strong position. Having a having a competent executive branch and reminding Americans what a competent government looks like will be a big deal. Um, you know, we have, as I, as I kept on saying, I think on Wednesday, that America faces several crises right now, including um, the COVID response and the economic and the need for stimulus based off economic disruption from COVID. There's there's a lot the executive a competent executive branch can do, um, even well both working with a potential divided government or just as the executive branch on its own. Um, so so I would expect to see a more a more competent and cohesive approach to policy, um, regardless of of how of of where the battle for Congress goes. He's gonna... And again, as I said, the Senate's going into overtime. There's it's not, that's not done yet. It's not done, but you've you've lost several of the key battlegrounds, including some of the ones that you thought were easiest to win. So um, you're on a, a very very narrow path in the Senate. Well, again, not over till it's over. It's not going to be over for a long, long time. Um, if, Biden, if Biden does prevail, he's going to have to work with Republicans, isn't he, to get anything done? Yes, and that's been part of his message. Um, you know, he's been in the Senate a long time. He's worked with a lot of these people. Um, so, so his message is that, is that he thinks, he believes he can work with Republicans in the Senate. Um, it's possible that, that with Trump out of office, thing, the politics of things change. We will have to see. And this is also, remember, the ball's also in the Republicans' court, too. Um, as I said, the country faces several problems, and, you know, 
if Republicans keep control of the Senate, they're going to be on the hook for some of this response as well. What do you make of the Republican response, or rather the Republican silence? We're not seeing a great large number of Republicans coming forward to support Trump's allegations about the elections, are we? Most of them are staying pretty silent. Well, I, I, I don't know what's going on in the minds of, of elected Republican officials. Um, you've seen a few come out against the president's statements. You've seen, you've seen some kind of vague attempts to, to, to talk around the issue. Um, but again, we, we have to see. I, I can't speculate on what they're thinking right now. Do you think the Republican Party will still remain the party of, of Donald Trump? Um, again, I don't. I honestly don't know. Um, in some ways, that also depends on the president um, and how the president decides to act in the remaining two months of his... Of his well, uh, uh, you well, like, you almost slipped up there, didn't you? You said the remaining two months of your toe. You almost said what you're thinking, right? That uh, your, your guy's going to win, but you're reluctant to say it right now. Uh, good catch. Um, you're right. I, I, if, if Vice President Biden prevails, as the analysis seems to suggest he might... Um, it will have to, a lot depends on how President Trump decides to act in the remaining two months of his term. Again, assuming that the numbers go the way people say they are and Vice President Biden wins the election. But again, you know, important to count every vote. Okay. Um, Fox News called Arizona for, for Biden and came got into a lot of stick for, for doing that. Is that, you know, is that symptomatic of something? Or is there a little distance being put between um, some Republicans? And Trump at this stage. The Fox News's decision desk is is is, is actually quite independent, um, run by professionals. Run by um, Democrats. The Arizona call may be wrong, but but they've but, they, but they've gone against uh, they've they've definitely gone against the the the, the right wing spin on elections before, as they did in 2012 in a famous video where Karl Rove had a meltdown when the Fox News decision desk called Ohio for Obama. So, so you say it's not the first time that this has happened, basically. Okay. Well, uh, Nicholas Gordon, uh, Chair of Democrats Abroad in Hong Kong, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us yeah, this morning. Very cautious, Nicholas Gordon. <laughs> very cautious. <laughs> um, thanks very much indeed. So, uh, yeah, it would be good if we knew the answer uh, within a couple of hours. Uh, we shall see. Uh, Martin gets the last word in an email uh, who says, uh, on the national security legislation in other countries, providing details that contradict Allen's and Shigani's uh, uh, narrative while staying on the exact same topic is not called what aboutism democracies na national security legislation are as draconian as it can get there are too many cases to list on back chat there are no effective checks and balances once someone is charged under national security legislation in australia uk or usa special courts taking over in most cases and standard rights and privileges are suspended that's uh, from martin thank you very much indeed uh for that danny thank you very much indeed for uh, a very interesting, rather too interesting week. It sure uh, has been an interesting week, yes. The weather forecast, fine, dry during the day, maximum temperature about 28 degrees. Uh, and the outlook, mainly fine during the day tomorrow, but cloudier on Sunday and the weather will improve early next week. 23 degrees, the latest readings. The relative humidity is at 74%. The Employees Retraining Board has launched the Love Upgrading Special Scheme 2 to help the unemployed or underemployed enhance their skills. There is no restriction on educational attainment. Around 300 courses are offered free of charge with a special allowance at a monthly maximum of $5,800. Free enterprise-based training is provided. For details, please call 182-182 or visit erb.org. 32, the news with Pierre Tremblay.
Donald Trump has again complained of electoral fraud in Tuesday's presidential poll as his lead in two key states, Georgia and Pennsylvania, continues to shrink as postal votes are counted. In stark contrast to his rival, Joe Biden has insisted that the vote counting process is working well. In a brief televised address, the Democratic challenger called for calm and patience. He said democracy was sometimes messy. Mr. Biden is 17 electoral votes away from securing the presidency. Locally, Hong Kong football has, seen, has been given a boost ahead of this weekend's Sapling Cup fixtures. For the first time in 10 months, fans will be able to watch the action live. Yunlong and Mongkok stadiums will open at 75% of their usual capacity for games tomorrow. More news at 10. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Design. Great interpreter of Beethoven. As well, also shy, quiet and retiring doggy cancer. Co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is really for adults, not really for kids. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. The side of what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. Inter- interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you. Welcome to Friday. Here on the Morning Brew on Radio 3. Well, it's that time of year again. So at 10.10 today, I'm going to welcome Brigadier Chris Hammerbeck back to the programme. If you've been listening to Morning Brew for a while, you'll know that once a year, the President of the Hong Kong and China branch of the Royal British Legion joins us to tell you all about Remembrance Sunday and where to buy those iconic red poppies. I think they have quite a job ahead of them this year for various... COVID-related reasons. I guarantee they're going to do their very, very best, though. That'll be after 10 o'clock. After 10.30, we're going to find out about an upcoming semi-staged, that means without all the bells and whistles, version of Mozart's operatic masterpiece, The Marriage of Figaro. Opera Hong Kong is going to be performing this next week, and I'm going to chat to the producer and a renowned singer himself, of course, Warren Mock. 11 plus is this week's Sports and All with Dickie Hicks or Danny Boff. Anyway, finally, we're off to the movies with James Marsh. Join us on Facebook Live if you can, on and off, throughout this morning. <laughs> 